0: about how we are to live in this world God so loves.
1: Loving one, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. As scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, may we hear and truly embrace your wisdom this day. Amen. This morning, our lesson comes from the Psalms, and it is Psalm 8. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them, yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Many years ago, when I was just starting out in ministry, I found myself one day lying on my back in the churchyard. Yes, on the lawn. I got myself into that position when a VBS small group leader decided that her young charges needed to slow down just a bit after running to and fro with lots of outside games. So at her direction, we were each assigned to find our own patch of grass, lay down, and look up for an activity called cloud watching. Now, every child that was beside me looked up and started seeing things in the sky. Some saw animals, others saw a variety of characters, and all I saw was an abstract arrangement of clouds. But just as I was trying to begin to see all the things that they could see, a plane started to come across our view. And of course that caught everyone's attention and they had lots of comments about the plane. And then it got quiet as the plane went away into the clouds. Until one of our young theologians exclaimed, they're flying all the way up to God. Well, this morning we are continuing a summer series here at Northridge on the Psalms with an exploration of Psalm 8. And it's a Psalm that begins and also ends with a similar observation. O Lord our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now this is important because Psalm eight is the first of several Psalms in the book that are classified as hymns of praise, but it's the only one of these hymns in the entire book of Psalms which is spoken entirely to God. Some of the words probably sound familiar to you for a number of reasons, one of which is that this is a reading on Trinity Sunday. So on that day, it's placed beside some other readings, and together they are presented to us in a way to teach us something about God. Now, today is not Trinity Sunday, so if you're checking your calendar, don't worry and since I happen to know that your pastor is an excellent theological educator, and since I happen to know my place as a guest, I'll simply note that this is one of two big themes and move on. The other big idea, the one that we'll give our attention to, begins with anthropology rather than theology. It seeks to answer the question, who am I? rather than the question, who is God? Human identity. The who am I question is one of inquiry to invite consideration of what it means to be a human being. Right in the middle of our psalm, we're confronted with the psalmist's version of this very question. What are humans that you are mindful of them? Mortals. That you care for them. Or that's how it reads in the translation that most of us are most familiar with. The message, a contemporary paraphrase, renders the verse in this way. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look? Or the New Century version gets even more direct. But why are people important to you? Why do you take care of human beings? So this morning, I ask, who am I? And who are you? According to the verses that follow, humans are made a little lower than God and crowned with glory and honor, humans are tasked with caring for all of creation, and that's imagery that's designed to take us back, to take us all the way back to the first page and the first story in the Hebrew scriptures, the first account of creation where we're first told how we came to be and where we first learned that God created people in God's own image. So the best way that I think I know how to try to begin answering this question of who am I is to remind myself that I'm not a self-made person. Rather, I'm a God-created creature made in God's own image and tasked with living in God-honoring ways. One significant aspect of this, being made in God's image, is to think of humans as relational beings and for those of us humans who've chosen to follow the way of jesus we're to be mindful that our religious path is one that is shaped mostly by love love for all love for god for self for neighbor and for all of creation so Who am I? Well, I'm someone who loves, praises, and worships a God who first loved me. One of my favorite Christian authors is Diana Butler Bass, and she tells a story from many years ago when she was in her mid-20s and had for herself a Damascus Road kind of experience. Now, at the time, she was married to a man who was a, quote, very conservative Calvinist. And they were part of an Episcopal church that was having a conflict. I'm sure you've never heard of church conflict. And in this church, they were conflicted over women's ordination. And the disagreement had risen to the point that a church split was on the horizon. And so they invited their bishop to come and address the congregation. At the meeting, there was lots of questions and answers, and the meeting grew more and more tense, Until it culminated when Diana's then husband stood up and asked the bishop, What is the gospel? The bishop didn't blink. He didn't fight back. Instead, he simply opened his arms before the room and said, God is love. The questioner responded, Well, yes, but what is the gospel? The bishop again said, God is love. Then he stopped for a moment, breathed deeply, and added, it, and God loves everybody. The demand came again, what is the gospel? God loves everybody, the bishop said firmly. God loves everybody, that's the gospel. The room was in an uproar and I stood frozen as small tears formed in my eyes. God loves everybody. That was it. I heard it. I've never not heard it every single day since. I didn't quite get it at first. It took about six years for it to really sink in siblings in Christ when you've encountered the God who is love and who loves everybody you will be changed and you will wholeheartedly love and praise and worship the loving one who am I well I am someone who loves my neighbor as myself, which is a statement that also requires a commitment to self-care and to self-love. Jesus invites us to get over ourselves and to adopt his definition of inclusive neighbor. What in the world is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Well, according to Jesus, our neighbor is anyone who crosses our path. And this requires us to show love to the neighbors we actually encounter, rather than just the idealized ones we hope to meet. At White Rock Center of Hope, we literally never know who the next person is who's going to walk through our doors. But we trust that on any given day, a few dozen people who are struggling in one or more areas of life will walk through our front door seeking to receive help. Many of these neighbors are the neighbors that other people in our community work hard not to see. But God invites us not only to see these people, but to journey with these neighbors. We are called to love those who are rude, mean, or defiant, just in the same way that we're called to love those who are sweet, kind, and compliant. Now, not long ago, a new-to-us neighbor arrived on our campus not long after we had closed for the day, and they banged and banged and banged on our closed door, persistently enough that someone had to go and greet them. And my assumption was that someone was going to greet them and let them know the reason the door was locked is because, indeed, we were closed and when they might come back. Instead, I learned that that volunteer and a few others chose to welcome that neighbor in, to surround them with love, to provide some after-hours compassion alongside a few bags of groceries, and also to make sure the person had a way to come back for additional help later. Now, that's not one of the most dramatic stories of White Rock Center of Hope, but that's precisely the point this morning. It's a simple reminder that loving our neighbor is a moment-by-moment choice. Your next opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself might come with a knock on the door. It might come with an unexpected telephone call. It might come with someone simply crossing your path, especially when you're the busiest or the latest for an appointment. So once more I ask, Who am I? Well, I'm someone who takes seriously God's call to love all of creation by caring for the environment and for all the creatures with whom we share our planet. People are increasingly aware of both the beauty and fragility of creation. Thinking back just for the last few weeks, I'm reminded again and again that all isn't well. Almost every day, I get a notification on my phone warning me that today will be another dangerously hot day. Parts of the Western United States experienced flooding after Tropical Storm Hillary. In Maui, we saw a wildfire that is now known to be the deadliest in the last 100 years in our country. Cherokee descendant Randy Woodley, who's a Christian missiologist, a farmer, and a professor, offers us this wisdom. He writes, in the Genesis accounts of creation, I find a world where each part of creation is related to the other. The importance of the narrative is not just about humans. It's also about the animal kingdom, and the plants, and the water, and the sky, and everything else. I think the original stories are meant to help us see a bigger picture than we normally see. My theology begins with the land. Now, for those of us who live in the city, it's easy to become and remain disconnected from our land. And I'll confess to you, I'm someone with very little experience in this area, but I'm also someone who's intrigued by the ways in which congregations and individuals are committed to learning more and to living differently. Recently, I was challenged to reconsider my view when a colleague shared about the development of her congregation's new community garden. It has quickly become a place where people build new relationships with one another, and with the earth. And it's led to many questions about where people's food really comes from and why that matters. Caring for creation necessarily includes the land that is beneath our feet. And it invites us to recognize the interdependence of all that is around us. So, who am I? I've asked that question an uncomfortable amount of times this morning because I believe it's important. It's a question we all get asked by others from time to time, and if we're the least bit introspective, it's also a question we likely ask of ourselves. So the next time you come into an encounter with that who am I question, I invite you to resist the temptation to robotically reply with whatever your normal default answer might be. And instead, just pause and remind yourself that you are a child of God and that you have been invited to co-create God's realm here on earth as we trust it already is in heaven amen
0: go out into God's world in peace have courage hold on to what is good return to no one evil for evil strengthen the faint hearted support the weak, help the suffering, honor all persons, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.